0: A goal-line stand by that long gray line as the brave old Army team survives. Jaden Daniels brings home the Heisman Trophy, and Pete Thamel enjoys a game as a fan. This is the College Game Day podcast for Monday, December 11th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel with you. So, Pete, I've got to ask you, did you enjoy the game, sitting in the stands, watching Army-Navy?
1: Reese, it was awesome. Like, what a what a day. So, you know, this is year 20 for me covering National College Football, uh, my first Army-Navy game. So there just aren't a lot of firsts left, which is not a complaint. It's a, it's a life's dream fulfilled. But it's always one of those things where early in my career, I'd be at the Heisman, or you're just flat out exhausted from the season. Um, also worked a lot of East Coast publications where the game usually was, so... I didn't really need to jump there because we would have personnel on the ground. So when, when the stars aligned, I live in Boston for Army, Navy to be a Gillette. I called in a favor to the great Lindsay Lloyd, who deserves all the hat tips. And uh, she got five tickets. I went with my wife, Kate, and some of her friends, uh, one of whose husband is in Iraq and actually watched game day on, uh, on Saturday morning, Andy Morrissey. He's a pod listener. And uh, Steph actually held up a sign to Andy that got on the air. So that was a a highlight. Uh, He sent a a screenshot back that he saw, it, which was really neat. And then, uh, you know, spent a few hours, Reese, aimlessly wandering the parking lots, uh, having an (laughs) occasional cold beverage and a bite to eat, which I'll tell you this, you and I are often swept out of these like great scenes right the, mm-hmm. the tailgate tents as far as the eyes can see in tuscaloosa you know a hot day in texas with brisket going you got deep fryers at lsu and we're wearing ties <laughs> up, right up to our adam's apple and uh either we're going to cover the game or we're uh we're, we're we're bouncing to get ready for next week so there is a lot of fomo now we we love our jobs I, mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. but there is a lot, there are some days where i'm like man wouldn't be bad to go sit, and eat some brisket, and have a couple beers, and watch the noon games, and then go in at three thirty. And that doesn't sound like a bad day. So um, I got to have that day on uh, on Saturday, and it, it was great. The the you know everything about Army Navy lived up to it. The the pageantry was awesome, right? Just mm-hmm. the 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 flyovers, the the parachuters landing with with awesome precision. Um, I mean, it was just like goosebumps just everywhere. And I think my takeaway. Outside of the football, was how much that game meant to everyone in the stands. Mm-hmm. Like that in that com- in those communities, that is their Super Bowl, and you could you could feel that teaming passion, which is just as you know robust as Auburn, Alabama, or Notre Dame, USC, or uh, Ohio State, Michigan. It's just in a it's just in a different form and setting.
0: So. What? Would wouldn't, you say the, wouldn't you say the difference is, though I, I agree with you, 100 percent having been there, the passion, the intensity, the desire to win the game and beat your rival is on par with any of those great rivalries you mentioned. But the difference in the aftermath to me is that there's disappointment but not anger,
1: you know every, a,
0: a, among the fans. Did you did you sense that too?
1: Yes, the you know they they're going to stay and watch you sing second. Mm-hmm. They're not going to go kill the old tree on your square with uh with tree poison. <laughs> right? Like that. It's it's it is great and there's a lot of talk of, you know, the other 364 days mm-hmm. we're all sort of brothers at arms uh you know, different but but on on the same uh, on the same mission. But just even like the the back and forth in the crowd. Like this isn't like Red Sox Yankees. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? No, mm-hmm. Nobody's saying army sucks or navy sucks like there is a there is a baseline respect for you know everything uh, everything everyone you know d- there's a sort of a shared experience even though it's different um yeah. so um, and then you see the wives you see the families you see just you can see it just sort of touching everybody uh in, involved so i was uh yeah really fired up to go really grateful for the uh for, for the experience and uh yeah it was just a it was just a great a, a great day of football
0: you know, I, I noticed, and I, I could be wrong about this, but I don't think that behind the set that we had the net up that we do occasion or most every week, uh, because, I mean, who better to stand guard back there than, yeah. <laughs> than the Corps and the Brigade? and. They have the clever signs. uh, The one we posted on social media from uh, a a cadet at West Point that said, "You know, if Maverick had gone to West Point, Goose would still be alive." And (laughs) there's one that there's one that makes its way to game day at Army Navy every time we've been there. That you know me, I chuckle at the simple ones. I you know week in week out, I usually laugh at the SpongeBob signs, no matter how many times I've seen them. But the one that simply says Army swims in the shallow end. Makes me laugh every time. I don't know. I mean, it's just like simple. It you know, it's it's, it's insulting, but it's still kind of in the spirit of uh, of those two great institutions.
1: Yeah. So since I slinked off to the to the parking lot to get my uh, get my afternoon going, I didn't see you after the show, Reese. I would be really curious. Um, I was touched on the set by how much Bill Belichick had an affinity for for Lee Corso. Um, and people had sort of spoken about it and I'd heard a bit of the history and saw coach get teared up when they showed those highlights of a young league course. I watched those a bunch. I mean, gosh, that, that was really cool, but I was curious what it was like up there, uh, with, with, with Bill there. And, uh, you I imagine that was palpable. You could feel it.
0: No, no doubt about it. Bill has such a great appreciation for the history of the game. He has such a reverence for Navy because of the time that, His father spent there as an assistant coach and a scout and because of the fact that Bill grew up there and, you know, watching, you know, he remembers vividly going and watching Lee run drills when Lee was a position coach and, you know, the story he told that tied in with the video that we showed, which I told the story on the air, the video, I I recall vividly. We were doing a story on Navy, and one of our one of our production assistants was uh, going was on site. I think going through some of the archive video that Navy had, and this was pure happenstance that they wow. stumbled on that video that we've now shown a few times on Game Day over the years with Lee talking and Lee coaching and being interviewed and then being thrown into the water. And then you know we debated on um, Friday about you know I brought up I said should we maybe roll that video when Bill's up there. And we ultimately decided not to, but Bill had seen it before and then saw it before he came on set and then referenced <clears throat> it and told a, a story about it, about his dad telling LC that water's getting colder. It's getting colder, Lee, you know, and, uh, it was just, you know, he, he has such a, an appreciation love and passion for the game as a whole and for Navy particularly. And to see that side of him, was um, was really cool. I had an, I had a hunch that we were going to get something similar to that because Kirk and I called the Navy BYU game, uh, the opening game of 2020. You know BYU ripped them pretty good, and Bill came on the phone mm-hmm. and talked about Navy football. And you know because his season was about to start at that time, and you know we thought, well, maybe we'll get a couple questions with him. We just appreciate him being on. And he, he starts telling stories and he starts talking about Navy football. And, you know, it was, um, he stayed on through an entire drive, got to a commercial break that I had to go to break. Bill Bunnell, the great game producer, is going, we have to go to break. And in my mind, I'm going, Bill Belichick's here talking. Yeah. And so I just said, you know, Bill, would you stay through the break? And he's like, sure. And he stayed through the break and he came back and taught. It was phenomenal. And I thought we would get that, and it delivered. And the fact that he brought out the old school, uh, old school looking headgear and put it on. I mean, was that, that a surprise to you? Oh, yeah. I had no idea yeah. it was going to. I saw him reaching for something when we got there, and it looked like he was having trouble getting something out front of the desk. I'm like, what? You know, maybe he's going to give Coach something or mm-hmm. something of that sort. And he pulled it. It was, it, was, it was a great, great moment. Very one of the more memorable Celebrity guest picker moments that we had. And I also think that all of us uh, collectively, you were involved in the discussion. You know, me, you, Pat, Desmond, uh, Michelle Rosenhaus, who produced the show for us, Matt Garrett, our coordinating producer. And I I was really pleased that we all came to the theme because in the end of not picking a whole bunch of games with Bill Belichick sitting there not doing it the same way. And Bill didn't, didn't want to pick a lot of the early bowl games he didn't want to do that and um, the fact that we said you know Mm -hmm. what we're good there'll be time to talk about those other bowl games we've got Bill Belichick on here with Lee Corso to talk about you know this rivalry football in general you got the greatest coach and as Pat said greatest general manager in the history of the sport sitting right there and so why not take that five six seven minutes however long it lasted um, and have, have some fun and let him tell stories and let him interact with LC. And it was, um, it was just extraordinarily memorable. One thing I wanted to ask him, though, and I, next time I see him, I'm going to ask him this. Um, they have the Belichick collection. I think it's on the third floor of the Navy Football Building, which basically yep. is like every football book you can imagine, you know, dating back to the early days um, to more modern autobiographical or biographical type selections. I'd like to ask him if you were going to send someone into the Belichick collection and just you know sit down. Where should they start? What would be the first book it's you'd great have? Question. You'd have them pull out. I had it ready. You know, we had to start broader, and then we got up against time. We ended up we ended up killing some sound that we were going to run and uh, lead in and stuff we, just because it was good and fun. And Michelle made a yeah. great decision to you know just ride with it. Um, but I really I'd love to know that. If, um, you know, where would you start, you know, where should you start in the Belichick collection reading about football? It was, uh...
1: yeah. So a little, little color from behind the scenes. So when, when Bill came up to the set, set he was with, uh, Berge Nigerian Najarian who's kind of been his longtime time, uh, long time consigliere. And, uh, so I went over and said hello quick, uh, been around them a little bit just over the years, dropping in, uh, to Foxborough for different things. And, uh, Bill just wanted to talk about – we talked about college football, and that was fun. You know, we talked about – so he's with his daughter Amanda and his granddaughter. Uh, Amanda's the head lacrosse coach at Holy Cross, and I had met her going to see Bob Chesney this spring. So we chatted about Bob, and Bill was just like, oh, yeah, I talked to Bob last night. Um, and then started going – just at, talking about the carousel, different people and stuff. So that was just fun. Bill Bill Bersh is a guy who loves football, and, uh, you know, it was, it was neat to have a few minutes and just sort of banter some things, uh, some things back and, uh, back and forth with him. Um, I'm going to make a bold prediction, Reese. That the uh, Belichick, uh, what was it, a
0: 1963 or nine helmet um, that he put on? I, I'm not. Sure. I don't recall exactly the year. Might have been. Might have been 63 from the Staubach era. I don't. I don't know for yeah, sure. And it, yeah, and there was
1: a, a, a special tie to it that I mm-hmm. didn't. It didn't stick with me when he said yeah, it. Right. but I neither, predict definitely. that helmet will live a long time on game day highlight montages.
0: Oh no doubt. <laughs> it's, that's gonna that. If, if that's not in the open, next year in the coming to your city open, Belichick putting on the old Navy helmet, it's yeah. tremendous. That Those decisions are all above my pay grade. But when that happened, I was like,
1: yes, we will see that for years to come. And that is, especially the way it manifested itself so organically. And I think the cool takeaway I had was that he appreciated, understood, and then adopted to the spirit that Coach has brought to the show. Does that make sense, Reese? Yes, yes. He's clearly watched the show for all three plus decades, and he clearly knew that moment wasn't about talking about ways to bare fronts can stop option offenses. <laughs> it was, it was. We're going to have a little. We're going to reflect on the game we love, and we're going to have a little bit of fun. And uh, that was just. Uh, it was Chef's Kiss by Bill.
0: Weekend review is brought to you by Dr Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr Pepper. The one fans deserve. Uh, after that, uh, later on that night, as expected, uh, I think Jaden Daniels won the Heisman Trophy mm-hmm. from LSU. Pretty close, though. It was a little, a little closer than I anticipated. And I think the one thing that you that you see from that, and I don't mean to make uh, Michael Penix supporters wistful, but you know, and, and there is still speculation that maybe he's been gutting it out for a while. It might be a little healthier when Texas comes around. But had he had maybe continued on the trajectory that he appeared to be on after that Oregon game and not had those games where they were still they were still fine, you know, with the exception of Arizona State, but not elite. I, I think he might have won the Heisman Trophy, um, but but Jaden don't misunderstand Jaden Daniels had one of the great statistical seasons and ever, uh, but in, in recent memory and was most deserving of, of the Heisman for sure.
1: Yeah. Do you feel comfortable talking about who you voted for, Reese?
0: Yes. I mean, it's not a big secret. I, I voted for Jaden. Um, we we are under no charge, and and you you vote too, correct? I do. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you know they ask us not to reveal our vote yeah, before uh, yeah. until after. Yeah. I voted. Yeah. I, I voted in order of finish. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. All right. So I, I voted that way. I with I struggled with um, really two, three, and four because. The other guy up there was the guy that I considered because I've said it a few times on the air. I'm not so sure that Marvin Harrison isn't, you know, the best football player, you know. Um, So he was he was worthy also. But I think to win the Heisman Trophy as a wide receiver, you have to have overwhelming numbers and moments. Uh, like Devontae Smith did mm-hmm. in 2020, Whew, did um, and I think um, I think even Larry Fitzgerald, who finished second as I recall, mm-hmm. probably yeah. had a season worthy of the Heisman. <clears throat> didn't win, so it's it's a difficult task, sure, to win it from that position. But I ended up I ended up voting one, two, three. I voted Daniels, Penix, Bonix.
1: So I stared at my ballot for a long time for one, and uh, I ended up on Penix. And yeah. some of it was that um, you know we saw some of Penix's struggles a little later in the mm-hmm. year after post Oregon. And there was a bit of a numerical swoon. No one mm-hmm. can, no one can argue that I, I've just felt like Daniels swoon came the first week and we just forgot about it. Is that, fair. Does that make sense? Like, so again, they're both great. Like this isn't, I, I didn't, I don't have this like from the mountaintop conviction, but mm-hmm. the totality of what Penix did, and then he did it without McMillan that, you know, his swoon, mm-hmm. Was not a coincidence that McMillan was out for basically right. that entire time, or played two plays in some of those games, mm-hmm. or whatever. So, um, again, he has to be the most outstanding player, but found a way to to will his team to to that undefeated season. So, um, yeah, didn't didn't have a ton of conviction uh, about that, but yeah, it was it was a it was a. A lot of years, the Heisman ceremony is anticlimactic. I at least like went into the day thinking Pennix had a chance mm-hmm. to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Jaden Daniels was going to win. He was clearly the favorite, um, but I didn't. I didn't think it was like this no no brainer from the you know uh, just like some years when you're like oh gosh that guy has just rolled everybody over.
0: Mm-hmm. It's been recently in recent years best team best player on the best team. Now we've had two years in a row where we've had guys who were not involved in the college football playoff. And mm-hmm. you know Caleb Williams was only a game away from likely being involved in the college football playoff last year. Daniels was farther away than that. Um, <clears throat> that phenomenon might be different going forward in the expansion era because you know Daniels would not have made it this year, but it would have mm-hmm. he would have been close to the cut line if things fell the same and you often wonder too and I think there's a lot of diligence that goes in as the committee goes down the list because as we've done these mock exercises in the past, a lot of times you end up spending more time uh, because it's harder to discern who's a little bit better at you know 12, 13, 14 you know, it, because the resumes are and, the, and the team on the field are also similar. And you wonder if you have a transcendent player as Daniels proved to be this year when you're, start, when you're starting to talk about a playoff spot, whether, whether that enters into the football judgment component of the committee as they, as they look forward. But I do think that, all things considered, more times than not, you're not going to have, uh, as often, guys out of the playoff mix who are accepting that trophy on Sundays. May, I mean, maybe you will. Maybe you'll have a Barry Sanders-type season for a team that's not a contender and they win the Heisman Trophy. But I think more times than not, you're going to have teams involved in the playoff in the last two years. Anyway, we haven't had that.
1: Yeah. I'd be pretty, it's a great point uh, just on how the paradigm of being a you know contender and a finalist is, is going to uh, is going to change. Um, I believe Reese, I read a stat five of the last seven Heisman winners were transfers.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true.
1: Uh, which I thought was, which I thought was interesting. So, Um, if I, if I can veer us off Heisman for a minute, but stay tied to it some, um, and kind of go to the other big story right now, which is, I think the quarterback transfer portal that's, uh, that that's ripping and roaring. I thought this was a really interesting point this week. And I I thought it was something we could, we could dig into a little bit here. Um, Eli Drinkwitz made this point when looking at basically who's, who was available last year as kind of one and done quarterbacks and who's available um, in other years. And he said, Penix, Jaden Daniels, and Bo Nix all took a full season before they really unlocked in their offenses. So they all had good early seasons and then elite second seasons. And then Joe Burrow, obviously, is the archetype for the good but not great first season in there. Now, Caleb Williams was great right away. No one's going to argue that. But obviously, no one's going to argue that he's one of the more talented guys that – that we've seen there in in a while and then you look at uh and i wrote this you look at sam hartman at notre dame devin leary at kentucky brendan armstrong and nc state um uh, to some extent tanner mordecai at wisconsin he had some injuries but like a lot of these guys who we spent a lot of energy and oxygen talking about last january february that were going to you know come in and change these programs we're good we're solid some were disappointing but they weren't these paradigm changers i just kind of curious your thoughts on that like it's i think it's an interesting big picture do you still need to develop at that position even though the the parameters of of how you can enter it have changed
0: i think the answer is yes for almost everybody Uh, we were at college game day in baton rouge burrow's first season at lsu i saw a joe burrow quarterback lsu team score zero points zero points. That seems wow. uh, that seems unfathomable. Against who, Bama? Against Alabama. Wow. S- the second year, no one could stop them. And the change from, it just so happened that I also went to, um, went and spent some time at LSU practice the following year, Burroughs' second year, went down and spent a day there. <clears throat> I was going to call the um, the LSU-Texas game early in the season, so I went to Texas right. and, and went to I went to LSU uh, for, you know, during um, fall practice or some late summer practice. And you watch him in practice and you're like, huh, this is, you know, this looks a little different than what I saw. Now they had Joe Brady and, you know, that was the summer that all the receivers committed to catch thousands of balls and and all of that stuff. But it looked way different. Then the Texas game looked different and Joe Burrow looked different. And some of it, is the fact that he's a great player. Some of it is the fact that he probably had a more um, an offense more suited to him. But a lot of it was that he had another year. He had sure. a second year with those guys and in his surroundings. And I think there is a ton to it. And Caleb Williams, as talented as he is, he at least was coming with the same coach, the same sure. philosophy. Um, you know, big time players coming with him so that accelerates the learning curve a little bit obviously Yeah, but I think man you know I think you're better off if you can developing your guy now if you can get if if Ohio State or Alabama or somebody been able to although it worked out pretty well for both of them anyway if they've been able to uh, convince Drake May to you know come with them okay go ahead that's different but the other guys are all really good players that you mentioned. <clears throat> they might not be plug-and-play ready to go, and I think you're better off recruiting well, convincing your guys that the Carson Beck uh, model of patience can pay off for you. I mean, you know, Beck could have gotten mad, you know, when, oh, Stetson, sure. when Stetson Bennett uh, was given the start ahead of him. a couple Instead, no, kept practicing, kept getting better, and now he's a dude. You know, and so mm-hmm. I, I think that's the better way if you can. Because yes. more times than not, there's some bumps in the road when you try to plug mm-hmm. and play the quarterback. Because it's not just the position, it's the leadership involved. And they, you can come in in the summer and we hear these stories every year. The guy comes in, everybody has gravitated to him enough and they vote him captain. But that's probably in part, not to cast aspersions for the guy, but that's probably in part because – the team knows he needs to be that, you know? Sure. And, you know, it's, you know, a first-year guy coming in getting that honor. It's almost like they're pushing, saying, you have to do this for us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes a little time. Yeah, like
1: Russell Wilson worked like that. It, probably yeah. like, you know, like nobody has worked. And he was a captain a few days after getting to campus and and, and all that. But turns out he's pretty special, right? Like yep. they're, you know. I called and- his
0: first game in Camp Randall. And it was like... I mean, I'd called these games in NC State too, sure. but doing that first game against UNLV, it was like, okay, Wisconsin. Wisconsin now, now has a different kind of threat back there. They'd had right. good quarterbacks, but yes. not like that. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> yeah. No, and it's in this. I don't bring this up to criticize the players uh, who are in the portal as much as these schools pinning their hopes on something that could be fleeting, right? Like you, you, everything has to come together and land in a very quick, period of time. And that's, that's hard.
0: Best in game is brought to you by old dominion freight line, helping the world keep promises and the promise of finding a quarterback. And look, we love coaches. We get to talk to them and and everything. We see different sides of them from time to time, but a coach can fall in love with the guy that he hasn't coached yet. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, uh, you know, find the, find the zit on the Mona Lisa. With the guy, with the guy that's been in his building for a couple of years, it's human nature, you know. It's a shiny new something o- over there, and it's a it's a difficult task. And then there's also the component of being afraid you're going to lose a guy, or being afraid you're going to wind up without any depth at the position too. And it's a because it's a it's a unique position in sports, right, Pete? I mean, you can't. Oh yeah. You know, sure. you can't. Um, you can't move, and if you have two great center fielders, you in, you know you move one of them to the left. You, he's got a great arm. He can play center, but you can move him to the right, get him in the lineup. You know, um, you know, a, a receiver you can rotate in, a running back you can split carries. Quarterback doesn't work that way. So I, I mm-hmm. don't mind these guys looking for other opportunities. I mean, at all. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times some of them hurt their own development, and also the teams become a little bit disappointed when it doesn't happen instantaneously. And when you're, you look in the NFL, young quarterbacks that change system, change system, change system, change system. Yeah. Doesn't work. You know, it rarely works. And the same thing can happen to a quarterback who keeps hopping and looking for the the next job.
1: I remember Alex Smith, who I got to know when he was at Utah, had like five OCs his first five years or something crazy like that. And the only guy that he really, ended up playing well for uh, early in his career as Harbaugh, um, who, who did a nice job with him. And then ultimately ended up replacing him, right? But um, but there was just... It was... Who was the Bears linebacker who was the head coach? Uh, Mike Singletary. Mike Singletary. Yeah, that didn't work out well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just a, a, like a big churn at that position. But again, it's development is development. You have to develop at every level. And you need consistency has to be part of your development plane. Like, you can't just churn people in churn people out and expect the growth to you know to to be there um both at the high school level college level nfl level like there's always development that has to be had and i feel like in this portal era that get that aspect gets overlooked more than anything
0: so what do you sense right now are coaches still as eager to find that guy now you've had a the number of guys that you mentioned several of them had you know difficult seasons. Some had good, not great seasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some like, some like Leary, for instance, played much better toward the end than he did early. Um, What do you sense from coaches in terms of pursuing quarterbacks as opposed to developing the guys that they have now?
1: Well, I think they'd love to develop them, but the problem is look at like Brock Vandegrift going from Georgia to Kentucky. If the opportunity isn't there, the market demands that you go. And I have no idea how much money Brock Vandergriff got, but he was a former high-end recruit with a ton of talent. And if you're going to go start in the SEC, you're going to probably make six mid figures. That's mm-hmm. an estimate mm-hmm. by me. I don't have receipts on that. So not only do you not want to wait, and I guess that move is made with the assumption Carson Beck is coming back. And I've heard he's at least like taking a look at the agent world and, you know, kick some tires and was doing so at the end of the year. Um, you don't, you don't stick around and wait on a normal plane anymore because you have the ability to transfer without sitting. Right. Cause it used to be, well, why would I leave? I just sit one more year here and then mm-hmm. I can start here. Whereas now it's like, well, I can go start and change my, uh, change my paradigm there. So, um, I think coaches want the control Reese, right? That's really what it comes down to. They don't say to me, Pete, we want the control, but they don't, want to be able to lose guys as quickly. They don't want to have to re-recruit their entire roster. I've heard a dozen times in the last week, retention is the biggest challenge right now. Retention is the biggest challenge right now. Because that means they have to go scare up the NIL money for the 18th best player on the roster, whose 24-year-old NIL guy is telling him that he can get him a uh, $60,000 deal if he goes in the portal. And this guy's only getting $20,000 at mm-hmm. a mid-level ACC program or whatever. So the the retention piece and just the the constant attention that retention demands is, is a struggle because there is no, in theory, linear mechanism to pay these guys, right? You don't have like cap space and you don't have that. Like guys come in the office and say, hey, uh, what, one coach said something funny to me. They, he said, there's no secrets in the locker room. There's no like everyone's like there needs to be transparency. He's like everybody knows to the dime what everyone else is making in in the locker room, which makes total sense if you know if you know team dynamics at all. Um, so once somebody goes in and gets X amount of money, someone else is going to roll in. Like the kids talk to each other, the agents talk to each other, the parents talk to each other. Like it's a whole you know it's a whole big. Um, it's information sharing, which is which is positive, right? Like I want these guys to to get their value and and get their and get what they're uh, worth. But for coaches, um, it it is a frustrating proposition to retain.
0: And we'll we'll see who can get the right one. It's about finding the right fit, and you know making sure that you have the right team dynamics because you can throw off your dynamics too if you bring in a guy. Everybody in the locker room knows he's making a lot of money and then maybe, you know, maybe he struggles to adjust. Maybe he feels uh, the heat of making a lot of money and starts pressing a little bit to try to make it work. And, you know, it's it's part of the professional professionalization of college football, which has been in place for a long time. It was just conducted in a much different manner than the manner in which everybody everybody knows it right now. You know, one thing I wanted to bring up when we were talking about game day, because obviously the Army Navy thing is um, a completely different dynamic from what we're talking about with transfer quarterbacks, and and even even them. You know, talking to Jeff Munkin and some of the offensive changes that Army made, and as they try to mesh a little shotgun system with the under center stuff that they've done so well for so long. Um, you know, they're going to the American. He and I were talking about recruiting and different things of that nature. And he said, look, we're still going to get the same guys we're going to get. But he said, you know, we thought, he said, I'm not going to lie. I thought there's a guy trying to decide and we let him throw it a little bit more. You know, maybe it'll help us. You know, but he said, basically, you're going to wind up with the same guy. So it's a different dynamic there. But we had guests at the show Saturday morning. We had Taylor and Sarah in person oh, yeah. joined us uh hopefully we rolled out the red carpet for them so what what did you what did you guys think? Was that the first time you guys have been on I know it is with us but is it the first time you've been on site for game day in your lives or have you been there before
2: I went to a uh, college game day in 2016 for army navy um In Baltimore. Mm. Yeah, covered it for uh, my guys, The Solid Verbal, did the Radio Row thing, and then caught the show in the Inner Harbor, which was a great setting, but uh, we had an awesome time. Yeah, So cold.
0: It was so (laughs) cold that day. I mean, it was a great setting, but the wind was, I mean, whipping. In their big time. and that was the 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 time. when uh,
2: army ended the streak and uh, you know I got to, I got to get on the field and the place was jumping so so Pete I feel you like that that energy is different and you've never experienced it before it's uh, it's a lot of fun
1: did you what did you think of the flyovers like that's what I'll remember ten years from now uh, that the just the the aerial pageantry the
2: those guys that when they parachute into the stadium that is nuts oh. like truly I'm like I, I I can't relate to those guys and it's it's remarkable what they do yeah. Well, you see him leave the plane. Like the plane flies
1: over, they narrate it, and then you see him leave and you're like, there's no. And then you're like, oh, oh. And then it's like 30, 35, 40. It's like, whoa, that's bonkers.
0: My, uh, I, have, I have a cousin, my first cousin, Jeff, Jeff Steele, who was a member of the um, Golden Knights parachute teams when the Army has over 3,500 jumps. He actually came to the show at James Madison as he's you know retired and this where he lives now. But uh, I often you know, would joke with him. Why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> but uh, but but he was into it. I, I didn't get to meet Grammy this weekend, but I did meet Sarah's mom and she was loaded up, ready, shows that I'm predictable in my questions. And she absolutely had the perfect retort for me. Did she not, Sarah?
3: Oh my gosh. She was practicing that answer for so long. She was like, I'm so ready. I hope they ask me. Sarah. Nebraska
0: football. Yeah. Okay. So tell tell him tell them what I asked and what your mom said.
3: So Reese asked, "What are we going to do about Nebraska?" And my mom, without hesitating, without skipping a beat, goes, "What do you mean? We're in the Final Four. We're a volleyball school now."
0: <laughs> that was perfect. Your 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 mom. And what it, was it? Was it your aunt too that was? no it was Marissa's was, aunt I think yeah Marissa's aunt was there who didn't your mom have someone else with her Sarah or not
3: uh no it was just her and I okay. I had surgery earlier this week so she was okay. in town to help take care of me
0: okay um well your mom was delightful it was great to meet her and she was uh it was great to have you guys with us so you have to do that do that more often Yeah. what,
1: what is the big red status in the postseason now forgive me for not keeping up
3: Um, We're in the final four. They are headed to Tampa. They play December 17th and Patty and Grammy will both be in attendance. So they are very, very excited.
0: Hey hey, Pete, listen, she was breaking down to me the number of freshmen that Nebraska volleyball starts. (laughs) And uh, so this, this dynasty is just going to, you got a burgeoning dynasty.
1: All right. I bet they have great volleyball NIL there
3: oh like yes
1: some setter from Long Beach State's about to get a bag dropped
3: Lexi Rodriguez our libero, I believe she has a deal with Adidas like they're doing great they're doing great
0: and if you if if you have any trouble there with the Nil with the volleyball stuff let me know'll I'll get Trev Alberts on the case and see if we can get that fixed there <laughs> <laughs> oh man no it was great great to meet him. Taylor, did anything from the from the standpoint of watching the show as you did behind the scenes? and I don't know if you went in, in the truck or not. What anything strike you about the way the the way the show's pulled off from that? Yeah, a,
2: a couple of things. First of all, I got a Lindsey Lloyd Ryan. Uh, Rachel, I mean absolute oh. rock stars behind the scenes. I am so thoroughly impressed by that. They're just buzzing around the whole time. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm just a lowly podcast producer who sits in a chair all day. So <laughs> to see them hustle was uh was pretty cool. But also the uh the whisking of you guys in and out of places is pretty impressive. Um yeah, you know, I saw Pat McPhee get handed the keys to a getaway car. Uh, Reese, I was hoping to say goodbyes, <laughs> but you literally had a police escort to get out of there. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll see you guys on uh on Monday, so that was pretty fun. And then I, I really enjoyed how how Pete just is bouncing around uh you know behind the scenes and Pete is a master networker. And when Bill Belichick showed up, I knew our guy would be there to uh to shake hands and, oh, and yeah. say hello.
0: Yeah. It's soon soon next year when we start showing our guests coming up. Uh we used to do this with uh, with Gene and Rinaldi. When, when they were with us because they were always there and they always got in the shot. Pretty soon we're going to start showing those. Uh, coming up on the show, you know, Bill Belichick, are going to take the live shot right there, and Pete will be right there and getting some face time uh, on, the, on the show like that too. That's, a, that's I need a to know point. who's going to get the
1: Holy Cross job,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know what else, guys, Taylor and Sarah, had a delightful dinner on Thursday night <clears throat> with Pete and Kate. Um, Jess Sims and Michelle Rosenhaus, who produced the show this week, we had a we had a great time. Uh, Pete Pete treated so, which dispels all of the rumors about his arms not reaching into his pants pockets. <laughs> so you know he, he in fact his in fact arms are in fact long enough to get to his wallet. So I I, I pay my debts, man. I Catholic know. guilt,
1: <laughs> Catholic guilt's a powerful driver. I pay my I pay my debts, but we did have a nice time. Appreciated you. Uh, you coming over it was a lot of fun to, uh, to have Kate sort of see our our dysfunctional road family fifteen <laughs> weeks into the season and uh, how we uh, you know how we do it. But yeah, it was good. It was great, great restaurant. I uh, there may have been some division at the table over who was rooting for who in the Patriots Steelers game. Reese, like the good host, he is wanted the future guest picker to win the game, so he in <laughs> no a good doubt. mood. Yeah. I was I was perhaps erring on the side of wanting Drake May in New England. (laughs) So wouldn't have been disappointed if Mr. Tomlin, the boy snuck in a late score or two and, uh, kept the Patriots atop of tankathon, which I Google once a week to, uh, to see where the Patriots draft order is. So yeah, it was good. Uh, Good backdrop, listening to uh, Kirk and Al while we had a while we had a bite to a bite to eat, and uh, don't don't think for a second, Taylor, that Reese didn't uh, when when this was so our bet over Texas mm-hmm. making the playoff. Our listeners would remember that. So I wanted to pay <laughs> <it> off immediately. <laughs> Hook them, yeah. I, I wanted to pay it off immediately because I also have to pay off the steak bet. Reese and I are gonna are gonna yeah. pony up for uh, Stanford Steve, who's probably eyeing like an 130 ounce Wagyu ribeye somewhere in Los Angeles. But um, there's <laughs> th-
0: there's there are plans underway. I don't know if I'm supposed to say them yet, but this would be this would be great there's a um can I am I, am I yeah, yeah. we're we're, we're efforting okay some sort okay. of
2: solution here no matter where we yeah. land mm. go ahead
0: okay so there is a, a we'll land someplace but maybe do the podcast from a, a renowned steakhouse in the southern California area that might have a competition among Rose Bowl teams uh Whoa. prior to you know that they've done for years and years have you have you ever been to that Pete the, you know, I've never the, been. I've obviously Lowry's, seen and, and read a,
1: yeah. read about it before, and I do think it is like a cool tradition. In that, in the fifties, that must have been awesome to, yeah. to see those guys. So, yeah, yeah, the the dudes show up from. Michigan and pound a bunch of meat in Los yeah. Angeles yeah. Um, but yeah Lowry's is still rock and roll I don't think I've ever eaten at a Lowry's to be honest but I do love steak I do love maybe the fact that this is a promotional thing it'll save me and Reese from reaching into our wallets to, uh,
0: <laughs> if we do that take Steve care of- Steve's going to insist that we do it again and do it yeah, once where no, we actually have to pay for it, which would be great. That's Maybe, fair. Steve's that's good fine. company. We'll go deep
1: with Steve as much as we as much as we can. Yeah.
0: No. That was uh, it. It was a really fun weekend. And you mentioned the escape. I had had some, uh, you know, family thing I need to get back for. I like to stay for the games. I didn't get to stay this week, but I had to. I, I was asking Boston expert Pete, "Am I going to make my flight?" and made it made it with ease, uh, thanks to Stephen Hensler, who uh, was. Uh, another one of the runners on loan to us this week. He's with me all the time in college game day basketball, but was on loan, loan to us this week from the SEC nation. He got me to the airport. Great job, Henny. Uh, Henny a great Dolphins fan, so he was uh, he was feeling himself on the on the way over, <laughs> talking talking about the Dolphins. So, but about to, um, uh, I believe, because of um, he's about to move to your neck of the woods. So I was teasing him and said, you know, don't get used to don't get used to December days like this. This is not how it usually is. Because that was just a beautiful, perfect day uh, for football. It was sixty on Saturday here. It was amazing. We went to the park. What a great
1: day! Yeah, no, it's been it's been good. It's it's raining. It's it's literally turning as we speak. It's it's rained. It was in the sixties when we woke up today, and by by the end of the day, it's going to be gray, thirty seven, and misting. Just just like we like it here in November. Take all your optimism back south with you.
0: Nothing, nothing wrong with that. So, what are you looking forward to as we as we wrap up this edition before before we get to the playoff? Any particular mm-hmm. bowl game that you're looking forward to seeing? Good, uh, g- good question.
1: So, I am a huge advocate, generally, of the uh, buffet of bowls that we're about to uh, that we're about to. You know, embrace and I love a good like Tuesday afternoon, December twenty sixth, Bowling Green, Minnesota game being on uh, on on TV. They are great ways to uh, excuse yourself from from your family who you may have had enough time with at that point, and uh, you know just go and go in and uh, go in and veg. Um, so for the for the early bowl games, um, you know the, the probably the the most fun game as I, as I scroll through here that I'm looking forward to is Arizona, Oklahoma. Um, you're going to have a different OU team, obviously at at quarterback and you're going to get a glimpse of the future with Jackson Arnold. And then you have an Arizona team that completely outkicked its coverage this year. Maybe, maybe more than any team in the country, uh, in terms of, I don't know what their win total was going into the year and what it ended up, but it wasn't eight and a half. I can guarantee you that it was not eight and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Was probably four and a half,
0: probably. Yeah.
1: So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Noah Fafita, who I think is one of the breakout players in the entire sport this year, go up against uh, a bit of a higher class program to to see where they can to see where they can stand. I feel like that's a that's a really good matchup, and it will be a classic test. The bowl, the bowl, fundamental bowl tension isn't offense versus defense; it isn't special teams matchups; it is motivated versus unmotivated. Yep, absolutely. And Arizona will be motivated. We had to do a motivation rankings. uh, I would say Arizona would be, you know, obviously outside the playoff, a top five motivated program. Uh, You know, it's a shame. Like Oregon State Notre Dame should be an awesome, awesome game, right? But just Oregon State's roster is just in tatters right now, and it's just, you know, again, this is the world we signed up for. I'm not going to bemoan the complaints, but you'd like if both those teams were full strength. Boy, would that be some fun! Right. Boy, would that be some fun to, uh, to, to see. Um, and then we're, we're starting to veer into the, uh, veer into the the little bit of higher class games here. I, I guess opening, opening weekend Reese, right. We have the Georgia Southern Ohio, Myrtle beach bowl. We have Jacksonville state, Louisiana, in the new Orleans bowl, uh, RL, RL carriers, New Orleans bowl, I should say. Yes. Uh, Miami of Ohio app state in the, uh, in the cure bowl. And then New Mexico state for Like that's a good day of football, but I will probably like clear out for UCLA Boise. Yeah. Um, yeah. be really curious, like uh, of that day, be really curious to see Spencer Danielson now that he's the, now that he's the full-time coach. Um, they, they, their, their roster has pretty much, uh, pretty much stayed intact. Um, uh, they're they're really good. Tailback has announced that he's uh, that he's coming back. Help me with the name, Reese. Ashton Genty. Ashton Denty. Thank you. Yeah. Um And uh, you know, UCLA. You assume back how now. Talon Green's in the portal for Boise, so everything you know, there there will be a little bit of uh, a little bit of ham and egg in there, and a little bit of improv. But I think that's a. That's a pretty good game, and th- there will be some motivated versus unmotivated at play there.
0: Hey, let me let me ask you this because one of the questions when we did the portal segment on game day Saturday, um, you know, sort of laying out for people what the rules are, when you can be immediately eligible, mm-hmm. and Kirk was fascinated by the concept of a guy being in the portal but still playing. Yes. I I confess that I don't know the answer to this. You said Taylor and Green's in the portal. Is that a done deal? Is he gone? Is he going to play? Um, what I don't expect
1: him to play. I don't know okay. that definitively. I would think ninety-five percent of the players in the portal don't play. Right. That would yeah. be yeah. that would be my unscientific, anecdotal uh, mm-hmm. analysis of mm-hmm. that. But there are guys that you know. It has to sort of take a uh, a detente between coaching staff and player, and it's usually at a unique position. Yeah. Player. So. Yeah. Um. The fact that it's a first semester bowl maybe maybe changes that a little bit and I will mm-hmm. uh, I will double check that today actually. Yeah, but a lot that's of times those guys are going on visits that weekend
0: too. Right. Yeah. That's a uh, you know that's a tough thing but you know I think I know you know Lou Holtz always used to talk about how if you lose a bowl game you go back to the hotel nobody's happy feels like the season you know has been ruined and most of the time you know especially once Lou got to Notre Dame the bowl games he he was playing in had national championship significance, so you understand that. But for some of these teams for whom a bowl game is what it was intended to be when they first started, a reward for for a season, um, you know, there's a different feel to it. These games are in fact, and I don't mean this to diminish them because I love them. I watch them, but they are exhibition games. And I would like to think that if I were Uh, a head coach at one of these programs, that I would completely use this um, to get guys extra reps, to take a look at people that I hope to be able to count on uh, the next season. Not necessarily totally at the expense of the guys who got you there, but I would broaden my rotation quite a bit and treat it uh, for what it is now there are exceptions I know a lot of six and six teams don't want to finish six and seven or well, none of them do but you know what I mean the the stigma of a losing season might skew this view a little bit but generally speaking I would use it as not just the practice but the game itself as as extra spring practice and I would be liberal and and how you know, how I would substitute and who I would play and just the entire approach to it. And because this is what it is. And I know bowl people get upset with it, but there has never been a time in the history of the sport the, that the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl had any impact on the national championship. You've already won, uh, either won your league or earned the right to be in this bowl game. So now I would use it to build. That's easy for me to say. I get it. And you don't want to... Take away uh, a reward from the players who played the most and who've gotten you there. But I think it's a great opportunity to work a lot of young guys in in different areas and maybe, uh, if nothing else, get their feet really wet in game experience. And I'll be interested to see as we embark on this new playoff era, the expanded playoff era, where, by definition, uh, it's going to be, there's going to be an even greater line of demarcation between playoff and other bowl games if you start to see teams use this a little differently than they have in the past and not rely totally on trying to get motivation versus unmotivation or not motivated because nothing is more motivating to a player than the bench or getting off of the bench. You know, and if, there's that, if they know there's that opportunity, if I go show out in this game, look, I'm, I'm going to get some reps in this game, there's an opportunity to really be in the mix the following season.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a great point, and you've you've seen quotes from coaches saying, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna play everybody. We're gonna we're, we're gonna do that." And for a lot of t- for a lot of ways, for reserves who coaches want to keep in the program to develop, it's a little bit of a carrot, a little bit of tease. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is how we're gonna use you. This is what it's gonna look like. Hey, this is you know this is what you need to work on. Um, <clears throat> now, again, that's easy to say in a December eighth press conference, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a little trickier when it's like, oh. It's third and four. We could really use a stop here against who, against whoever. So it will it will take some discipline from the uh, from the coaches to practice what they have uh, to practice what they have preached. But I think for fans too, especially with a lot of guys opting out, your high end NFL guys, it gives a chance for fans to get excited. Hey man, that that red shirt sophomore linebacker we have is pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's a way to sort of market what you can be. Um, to your uh, to your fan base so I think we'll see uh we'll see
0: a good amount of that Reese coming up here Pete really fun uh season of college game day the shows in the in the college football playoffs surrounding them they're awesome they're fun they're highly viewed but the feel is different uh for sure, sure. so great season. Can't thank you enough for everything you did for the show this year. Just phenomenal work on all fronts, and and this has been fun. And we're gonna we're gonna continue this as we as we did last year throughout. But um, so it's, it's been oh, yeah, great, our man. listeners
1: aren't gonna be able to shake us. We'll no, nope. still, we'll nope. still be in be off season, the draft,
0: yep. a little bit of hoops in March. Um, yep. Yeah, you got to get me that. You got to get me that Senior Bowl schedule because I'm gonna try to get down there Ooh. or or over there for a day. Um, Around my basketball schedule, at least, so okay. I'll have to look at what days. You, you being the Senior Bowl expert that you are, would tell me which. You know, if I if I roll up in there on a on a Wednesday and there's no reason to be there on a Wednesday, it's not a good day. That's the Correct. kind of thing you're going to have to uh, have to guide me on and let me know which days would be best to see if I can make that happen around my basketball schedule. So.
1: We will walk you through. Uh, Major Applewhite, the OC at Southern at South Alabama, took me to an awesome. Restaurant with unbelievable oysters. The oysters in Mobile are fantastic. So, you will, uh, we'll, we'll have to have a, we'll have to have a Mobile bet at some point during postseason. I think we'll have some sort of disagreement that leads to, uh, leads to a friendly oyster <laughs> wager. So.
0: Probably it might, it might center around Caleb Williams and Drake May, but I, I don't it know. Could. I can't, I, I I've,
1: I've already got some, I've already got some meals on that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can't, I can't.
0: I actually, as much as I, I, I mean, I love both of them, I think they're both, um, I think what I've said in the past, I need to clarify a little bit more. I think I've sort of thrown out the term generational talent. What I should say is generational prospect. That that's more precise, I think, in the language. I do think that both of them have the chance to be like franchise cornerstone superstar uh, guys, you know, who can elevate everybody around them. Every quarterback needs the right personnel, right system, right coach. Every, every quarterback who's ever lived needs that. But there are a few who can take a lot of different ones and elevate them. I think both of those guys are that type of prospect. Now whether they do it, you know, there's a there's a certain crapshoot to that, no matter how talented you are. But I, I think both are phenomenal. But I think Caleb goes first. So I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to bet you on that one. Yet. all right i but have
1: a i have a caleb one two bet with mcafee i think actually
0: yeah so. i think you do i think you yeah, do I'm, thanks for everything. that in at the combine yeah oh, that's no. right well we'll be done we're yet. ahead of ourselves we've got pasadena we may have steak at pasadena we've got plenty to talk about with the bowls leading up to the college football playoff we'll continue on the pod doing that thanks for listening we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and download wherever you prefer to get your podcast.